Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 360. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent Wingwoman. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to dive right into the top news of the week. The teaser trailer and a dope poster for Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel has arrived. Brie Larson looks amazing as Carol Danvers, and I cannot wait to see more of Earth's most powerful hero, Wreckin' Shop, in the 90s. We also got to see Skrulls, Kree, young Nick Fury, young Phil Coulson. So hyped. Soar on over to Marvel.com or any of the Marvel and Captain Marvel social pages to feast your eyes on the glorious first big look at Carol Danvers' film coming March 8th, 2019. Oh, seeing the first trailer for Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel had me completely shook. Brie Larson is clearly a formidable hero who is going to bring so much cosmic kick-ass to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this is a big week in comics with news that we'll get to soon, but we also released Return of Wolverine number 1, which is terrific. And Jamie and I thought it'd be fun to dig into some of Wolverine's most harrowing experiences. So stay tuned later in the episode for that chat. And our interview is with D. Bradley Baker, who voices Tippy Toe and Lockjaw in Marvel Rising. And correspondent Lorraine Sink, she puts on her press hat for this episode. And you can actually hear her next week on Marvel's Pull List with me. Uh, she's guesting it's going to be a hoot. But now, on to things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. This week, we released a new Marvel custom comic that's linked to the Venom film. It's neat, and you can hear Tucker and I dig into it on this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List. Bonus, it's free to read on Marvel.com. We'll put links in the show notes and the news story. Plus, tickets for Venom are on sale now. Those who buy their tickets for Venom at an AMC theater for opening weekend will receive a physical copy of this limited edition comic with an added exclusive reveal that is not featured in the online version. Venom comes out October 5th. Last week, we hit you with tons of news about comics coming in December. And this week, oh my God, so much more. Killmonger! We've got two issues of Killmonger coming in December, and it's about Eric Killmonger's early days. Super psyched because the creative team is great! Brian Edward Hill, who wrote the recent Spider-Man annual about Miles' early days, he's writing it. And Juan Ferreira is on art. His recent arc on Old Man Logan was some of the most stunning art I've seen this year. Hands down. Cannot wait. And more December stuff. I'm a sucker for handbooks, comics that provide histories and profiles of characters. And there's a Spider-Geddon handbook in December, which is right up my alley. A guide to the Spider-Man across the multiverse. Heck yes. I know you like that kind of stuff too, Jamie. Like the histories and getting deep. Yeah, Love it. All new stories from all three Star Wars trilogies begin in December with Age of Republic, Age of Rebellion, and Age of Resistance. I'm super into this because, you know, we switched up the editorial teams on the Star Wars books. And so with that brings new voices, new new takes on things. And so this is neat. I remember I, I popped into Panic, Mark Panicha's office a while ago, and he was like, we got something cooking. And he was being super sly to me, which is funny because I've known him for like 15 years. But whatever, Panic. Now we know there's teaser art by Giuseppe Camancoli and Aaliyah Bonetti. But more details will be revealed at the Disney Lucasfilm Publishing Panel at New York Comic Con Friday, October 5th. We're going to talk a little bit more about Comic Con in a couple minutes. But one more December comics tease. There's another holiday issue. I know we talked about one last week, but the Merry X-Men holiday special with stories by Charlemagne the God, Ed Brisson, Matt Rosenberg, Kelly Thompson, Rainbow Rowell, Charles Soule, Cena Grace, Chris Claremont, Al Ewing, Chris Anka, and so many more. 25 holiday stories, including what Magneto does for Hanukkah. Ooh. Yeah. Rogue and Gambit's first married Christmas. 
Jubilee at the mall during the holidays, I have a mighty need for this. Oh, I mean, if I was going to make a holiday list of all the writers I'd want writing a holiday issue, it's those guys. It's all those guys. And finally, we are less than two weeks away from the start of New York Comic Con. Oh, no. (laughs) We're starting to see some of the cool exclusives that will be available at the show. Funko and Mezco and others are now up on Marvel.com. I've seen some of the goods that we'll have at the Marvel booth, and I am delighted. I have resigned myself to spend plenty of money on uh, more pins. I don't know if you all have seen the pins, but... Are there, are there more? I can't believe there are more pins. Like I love forever pins. I love a pin. I don't know what to do with my pins. So what I bought was a cork. I have two cork boards at home, and I put oh. the pins up on the cork boards, and then just switch them out on my jackets whenever I want to change them. That's a grand I have, idea. I have a place to put all the pin backs, and so it's just like, oh, today I want to wear Thanos, this one, and so you can use them as decoration for yourself and your home. Oh, that is lovely. Uh, Super fun, though, is that we will have a This Week in Marvel panel on Friday, October 5th, with some really fun guests. Uh, But I'm going to bring as much swag to give away from my personal stashes as I can carry. Plus, hopefully, we'll have some secrets to announce Mm. at the panel. And we'll have stage events for This Week in Marvel and Marvel's Pull List at the Marvel booth throughout the weekend. So it's going to be great. Come for the secrets, stay for the swag. Yes. Now, speaking of Marvel's pull list, the top books from this week's episode are Return of Wolverine number one, Mr. and Mrs. X number three, Thor number five, and Captain America Annual number one. Subscribe to Marvel's pull list wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video versions on Marvel.com. We're doing a bunch of them. Uh, what did we do? We did a covers one, we did a regular video version, and a mailbag version. So much pull list action, it is delightful. All right. Time to put on your crying hats. Oh, my goodness. Because it's the main event. We're going to talk about Wolverine and his many terrible, no good, very bad days. Now, Ryan, you yes. said at the top of the show, uh, we thought it would be a fun discussion yeah. to look into uh, Wolverine's most harrowing moments. I don't know if I'd use the word fun. I mean, is it fun to read comics? Is it fun to read stories? Absolutely always. How did I feel when I was done? Not like I had fun. <laughs> Not really like I had fun. Like, I got a good story out of it. I was entertained. I felt um, pain in my heart. Yeah. I I initially just thought about this because, uh, you know, Return to Wolverine was coming out. And I was course. like, oh, let, let's look at some of the other really difficult stuff because Wolverine died and he came back. And I know that the story of him coming back is a very traumatizing one. But I was thinking... It's kind of not the worst thing that's ever happened to him, yeah. strangely enough. And that got my wheels turning of some of my favorite Wolverine stories and all of them that reinforce why we love Wolverine, why Wolverine's a great character, and why he is such a good person, right. uh, even though he does terrible things and has had terrible things done to him. Uh, one big note, we're going to get into some spoiler territory. These are big Wolverine stories. They've been out for a long time. Some of them are quite old. In addition to spoilers, we just want to give a little bit of a content warning because these are heavy stories. There's a lot of mature stuff going on here. There's talk of death, murder, suicide, like very major themes that are going on. And it's we're not taking any of them lightly. But if you want something a little bit uh, lighter... Like maybe with a wonderful voice actor who voices a squirrel and a dog. Yeah. Then you can skip over to our interview. We'll have time codes on the uh, in the news story yep. and in the show notes, so you can skip right over to that. But if you're ready to dive in, let's talk about Wolverine. Sounds great. Let's just dive into this shark-infested 
pool of tragedy, shall we? Um, so there were a few elements of Wolverine's story that came into play here. One that is a sort of recent flashback, we did delve into Wolverine's origin story, which is a new story because, as you mentioned to me, Wolverine's origin was always kind of a mystery. Yeah, I mean, that was part of the the charm for Wolverine for so long was like, you didn't know quite how old he was. You didn't. You, you knew that he was very old. Yeah. And there were bits and pieces, especially Chris Claremont wrote a lot of Wolverine stuff over the years. There's this great 1988, 89, somewhere in there, issue of Uncanny X-Men where it's Wolverine as just Logan in World War II with Captain America and a baby Black Widow. It's weird and crazy and really fun. Uh, but so you, you got these, this sense of Wolverine was very old, but we didn't have a lot of details. Right. But there was a recent series called Origin. Yeah. So that was like 2001-ish, two, somewhere in there. Yeah. I love an origin story. Um, I kind of always need context. So I loved reading this. And um, origin stories for a lot of heroes tend to be rooted in tragedy and a life being torn apart, but usually not literally. And in Wolverine's case, this involves children, abuse, lost love, a dead dog. I mean... All at the same time. And yeah. I've got like, a, a person named Dog. A person named Dog who seems like a troublemaker to the core, but for reasons. Yeah. Like there are reasons why Dog is the way Dog is. Yeah. And it's all just really, really tragic. And then even worse, it's like happening at the holidays, which just adds to the emotional <laughs> weight. And yeah. this is like if Dickens read this, he'd be like, let's take it back a notch, guys. <laughs> Yeah, so I, we did this. It was like Paul Jenkins and Andy Kuber, Richard Eisenhoff. And, you know, it's like you have this this story of James Howlett as a sickly boy. It's like late 19th century, fancy house. Oh, yeah. Uh, well-to-do family. And then you are introduced to the groundskeeper whose name is Thomas Logan, who looks very much like the grown-up Logan that we know. Mm-hmm. And so then, you, you know, you're reading and you're starting to put pieces together like, wait a minute. Is this our Logan? Is this something else? What's going on? You start to figure it out. But then, like, issue number two is where the dam bursts, right? Yeah, it's like all of that beautiful scenery just now covered in blood. Yeah. It starts with, you know, Thomas Logan. He gets fired. He comes in. He goes to kill the the head of the house, the Howlett house. And he shoots him in the head with a shotgun right in front of the dude's wife and son And then it's just like, bing, bang, boom, young James freaks out and he goes and he pushes. It's like rage and grief overtaking this kid. And then you see that he's actually stabbed Thomas in the chest and his claws have extended for the first time, these bone claws. And that, you know, is very typical mutant moment where your your power manifests during puberty and or at a time of great stress and trauma. And that is all of it right there. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, it's hard being an adolescent. It's rough, but not as rough as it was for James Howlett. I think he may have had it a little harder. Yeah, it was it was tough. And then, so that's bad, right? That's His dead ba- yeah. father. His <laughs> dead birth father, because we find out that his mom was hinking around with Thomas Logan. Oop. And so, you know. <laughs> And then within that, I think it's that issue or the next issue, his mom breaks. And she kills herself because of all of this. 
he has to run away. He's rejected by his grandfather. He's rejected by – it's just like on and on. And so it is the beginning of the worst things that could ever happen to someone. Ugh. It's just painful. Yeah. Who needs to look at a picture of a baby animal right now? <laughs> and we have, we've only gotten started. Yeah. The great thing is that he goes off with his childhood friend and later she dies because of him. So oh, well. boom, there's that. Okay, so there's like one lost lady friend. Mm. Shall we move right on? I think that's appropriate. Wolverine's ladies. If I was going to give Wolverine any advice, I'd just say, dude, stop dating. Just <laughs> honey. If you ever have a friend who keeps getting into terrible relationships, uh, Logan's that dude, except maybe his relationships aren't terrible, but they usually end very, very badly. And usually because of him, he, you know, kills them. Kills them or is adjacent to their death. They die because of him. Like he is just connected to tragedy in so many ways. Women love him. He loves women. He, he finds them in different eras. He's been married multiple times, and there's just a ton of this. He is a softie. He is a man with a soul and a heart, and I believe in it, but he's still got those claws, and he is still who he is. And um, a lot of these lovely women that he falls deeply in love with, he ends up killing, so they avoid a far worse death than claws, which yeah. that would be a really horrible death. So there's Mariko. Uh, whom he was engaged to. And so the, the the tragedy of that one begins because she is in Japan. He is an X-Man. He's traveling the world. They want to be together, but she has familial responsibilities. She has to get her house, her clan Yoshida, in order before they can get married. And so that that stretches on for years. And then finally, it's like 1992, Wolverine number 57, they're getting to the point where things are coming together. She's doing great. She's getting everything on lock. And I don't like it when things are going well in the Marvel Universe, no. Ryan. There's this big fight. Gambit's there. Uh-huh. I attribute Gambit to causing some <laughs> bad luck to this whole situation. But she gets poisoned by a blade of, uh, it's like blowfish poison on her on a blade, gets her. And she's dying and she says to Wolverine, basically, we did it. We can now get married but I'm dying, please kill me. He's like, no, like devastated and has to pop the claws and kill her because she's suffering and she asked him to do it. Horrible. Yeah, I just remember her saying like, please do this while I can still feel love for you. It's like, I really love you, but I have to die. Yep. Like really bad right now. Yeah. Then there's Jean Grey in New X-Men number 148, which is... Wonderful story. If you yeah. have not read New X-Men, start from the start. It's like issue 112 or something like that. It's this wonderful sweeping epic by Grant Morrison, and you get along to the plot. Magneto has these incredible grand designs. He has separated all the X-Men. He's got Wolverine going off into space with Jean Grey. He learns a bunch of stuff about his past, which destroys him. He's like on the verge of of devastation to begin with. And then they find out that they have been trapped in a space station that is now rocketing off towards the sun. It's the two of them. They have no way back. And in in 148, they're like getting hot, warmer and warmer to the point where Wolverine is sort of dealing with it because of his healing factor. And she's losing it. Like you watch Jean in that issue lose 
control yeah. of her mind, her senses. She stops sweating. She's yeah. like, I think something's wrong. Yep. Uh, and she starts, she can't see. Like, And she says to him, please kill me. I like it, it is this horrible thing. And he's like, he's cradling her in his arms. He closes his eyes. Uh, she says, don't leave me. He says, never. I'm right beside you. I die to save your life, darling. I take all your pain on myself, but I can't. I can only take it away. And then he devastated has to kill her. And it says, Phil Jimenez draws this and is beautiful, but it's heartbreaking. And then he ends her suffering, distraught at the whole thing. He opens the doors to the ship right in front of the sun and lets the sun just incinerate, incinerate both of them. And I won't tell you what happens next because it's great. And it twists and turns from there. And then it's tragic again in 150. But it is (laughs) tremendous. So you can't die by being incinerated by the sun. Um, Well, because obviously he comes back. There's a way it comes back, which I don't you know, if you think of fire and Jean Grey, it all starts to make sense. All right. What else we got? There's the red right hand and Wolverine's children. Should we do Wolverine's children first or red right hand? I think to to explain it, the red right hand comes together to get to Wolverine. So they're a group that comes together who are all victims, survivors of a Wolverine event. So it's a guy whose pregnant wife was in labor and there was a, a Wolverine event in the highway and he couldn't get to the hospital the woman and the child died he blames wolverine there's someone whose father was killed by wolverine who was the guy was a bad guy but her father was killed by wolverine like there's all these instances so these are people who are affected by wolverine in one way or another yeah um i thought this was an incredibly cool cult (laughs) i love a good cult um i love the red right hand song by nick cave it's a classic for me but yeah, it's it's almost like the most passive form of revenge where it's like a bunch of people getting together to watch the man who caused them pain fight and kill. So yeah, their master yeah. stroke is leading like they've they've given all these clues. And this is written by Jason Aaron, who is a sadistic man whom I love. Unbelievable, but dude. He's a monster. Seriously, Jason Aaron. In that beard lies evil. And I love him. They've left all these clues and they're they're sort of goading Wolverine to coming and they give this sort of like... It's like a gladiator fight. Yeah, almost. It's so like, like five stations he goes through, like it, different people who are trying to stop him. And they're they're made, like you say, to die. And they, they're these characters who have ridiculous names. Cannonfoot, Shadowstalker, Fire Knives, Saw Fist, Gunhawk. 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 I, I like Fire Knives, though. Yeah. Uh, so there are all these people who are trying to stop Wolverine, but the Red Right Hand knows that they have no chance. They are there just to die horribly. And it's yeah. pieces sliced off. It's vicious and, and terrible. He goes through the whole thing, and you get to the moment where Wolverine gets to the door, and on the other side is, is the whole Red Right Hand group. And their plan is... Ritualistic suicide. They take. They some have wine pill. though. It's really classy. Wine. It's they a, all it's a, die. It's a big to do. Yep. They all get together in a group. They're watching Wolverine. They're watching all these other people die horrible, bloody, slashy deaths, and then figuring that once Wolverine finds out they're behind it, he's going to want to get his revenge. Yeah. So they their next step here is deny him revenge. Deny him revenge. By killing themselves. Yeah, and so he walks in, he's like, 
well, this is stupid. <laughs> Y'all are dead. And then a video is set up for him to play and a like a file. And the video goes and the, he opens the file and it's revealed that the five people he's killed on his way to the red right hand were all his children. <sighs> and so they have lured him into murdering his own family like he's murdered their families. It's that's sick, dude. I mean, I've seen I've seen the movie Saw and um this is worse. Yeah. Like, and he had no idea that these children existed. Like and these are people from across the globe and they were called the mongrels, these kids, which you know, you get the name once you everything comes together. Yep. But he is almost completely devastated. The issue after this, so this is in Wolverine 10 through 15 of uh, the series that began in 2010. So I think it's number 15. It begins with him climbing a mountain and jumping off the mountain because he just, he's trying to end himself, atone for what he's done. And it's like, the caption is like, my brain turns to pulp, but a few minutes later I come back, everything reforms, and I do it all over again. And then you find out for the several weeks leading up between the end of the Red Right Hand saga and him trying to kill himself, he has been going around the world delivering his dead children to be buried next to their mothers. And it's just this heartbreaking story (laughs) all around. And then you find out Dokken, the child he knows he has, has orchestrated the whole thing. He has manipulated (laughs) everyone into this. Oh, what a terrible son. Uncanny X-Men number 34 has sort of the, the climactic battle between Wolverine and Dokken. And it is, it is written by Rick Remender, art by Phil Noto. It's a, another heartbreaker because it's Wolverine being like, this guy, he's gone too far. I can't save him. I can't do anything. I have to end him. And it just, they battle and Dokken slices him up. He loses an eye. His face is falling off. Yeah. And <laughs> Wolverine just pushes his head into a puddle and drowns him. A relatively clean death for someone who is a victim of Wolverine. But the beauty of comics is the way they tell it, and it's a panel of the struggle, and then a panel with captions from Dokken in his mind of thinking about what their lives could have been Yeah, if they lived a normal life. Him going to prom, him growing up, playing ball, like their lives together, flashing through his mind. Grandkids. It's just... yeah. Devastated. And then at the end of the issue, Wolverine is just laying down completely spent thinking from his point of view what life could have been. Well, one last (laughs) one that I wanted to talk about uh, because it really connects us to Return of Wolverine is is Weapon X. Yes. Uh, Yes. When when you think about (laughs) origin uh, revealing so much of what we knew about Wolverine, Weapon X is... One of the most important stories I think Marvel has ever put together because it really defined Wolverine as everything. So it, it was printed biweekly in Marvel Comics Presents, which I remember going to the local supermarket with my mom and buying a Marvel Comics Presents. That was great because you got three to four stories, new artists, new writers, different things every week. And this was serialized over six months. Issue 72 through 84 of Marvel Comics Presents and it is all written, drawn, colored. I think there's a different letter, but everything is put together by Barry Windsor Smith. 
And it's gorgeous. It he is, is gorgeous. One of the greatest storytellers in comics. I think we'll be talking about him hopefully more next year as Conan comics uh, come back. But it's one of those seminal books that I think everybody should sort of like, oh, if you want to learn about this character, you want to read why comics are so great, this is a great one. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Like, I was reading this for this show, and I'm so glad that I did. I would reread it. Yeah. Because I, I want to see what I didn't pick up the first time. There are so many details in it. The art is, I've almost never seen anything like this. There's so much to it. And it's very David Cronenberg. Yeah, there, there's a lot it's, of body horror. It's a lot of body horror, which I, I dig. And that's the reason why I put it on here is because of the most traumatic things to happen to Wolverine, getting the adamantium coating on his skeleton and, and claws is up there. It is so excruciating that sends him beyond any limits of human experience. And that's not even the worst part. I mean, the physical pain is, I'm sure, pretty terrible. But he's being completely controlled and treated as a thing. And that's what killed me the most reading this, was that it was such a focus on turning him into a weapon that they could use and not a person who had feelings and a heart and a soul. He was basically like a biological robot to them that they were trying to build. Yeah. They traumatize him mentally. Yeah. They condition him. They send him out, you know, sort of like training against animals. It is horrifying. He beheads a bear. Finally, thankfully, breaks away. But, you know, you think about it there. He's then lost to the wilderness for years. Uh, He's later found by Alpha Flight and, you know, sort of brought back to humanity. But... Man, that story is so important, and it connects to Return of Wolverine because Charles Soule and Steve McNiven, especially Steve McNiven's art is evocative of Barry Windsor Smith so much, and I love it so much. The way he draws Wolverine with the the nose, the hair, if you look at the last page of Return of Wolverine number one, it looks very much like Barry Windsor Smith, Logan's you know Weapon X story. It is so good. It's also... It's up there in these devastating moments. Oh, good. Well, we want, <laughs> we wouldn't want to disrupt Wolverine's routine. Yeah. Uh, but the stuff that we didn't even get into, Wolverine literally going to hell, yeah. getting crucified by the Reavers, getting infected by the Brood, getting blown up by Nitro, getting brainwashed again, turned into a killing machine again, this time by the hand, dying from adamantium poisoning, or tons of other stuff. The fact that Wolverine has gone through all these things over time and bouncing back makes him so special. You know, I'm excited for the return of Wolverine because the Marvel Universe is not the same without him. And I think getting him back is is really, really special. So let us know what your favorite Wolverine stories are. Use hashtag This Week in Marvel on the Twitter. You can email them to twinpodcast.marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. And if you want to send me panels of happy Wolverine, I'm happy to look at them. Before we get into our interview, did you know that buying comics could be rewarding? How? By earning cashback rewards with a Marvel MasterCard. MarvelMasterCard.com slash TWIM. You'll earn 3% cashback rewards on comic books, movies, restaurants, and more with the Marvel MasterCard, and 1% cashback rewards on all other purchases. There's no limit on the cashback rewards you can earn, all with no annual fee. Enjoy special Marvel benefits like three months of a Marvel Unlimited subscription. You can choose your superhero from one of six cool card designs like Iron Man, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, just to name a few. 
Visit marvelmastercard.com slash twim to learn more and apply today. marvelmastercard.com slash T-W-I-M. Our interview this episode uh, is now with D. Bradley Baker, and he voices Tippy Toe and Lockjaw in Marvel Rising. If you haven't seen Marvel Rising, it is dope. There's a bunch of specials and then uh, the, the big feature. Super neat. And Lorraine Sink, our correspondent supreme, she got to chat with him. So let's go to that right now. All right, D. Let's talk about let's do. life. Life. Nate. It starts. It things happen, and then the curtain falls, and and you move on to a new show. That's that's life. <laughs> that's an actor's life. Oh, totally. So let's talk a little bit about that actor's life. You yes. have voiced so many characters. I was researching, and I just couldn't believe how many characters you have voiced. Um, what are some of your favorites? Uh, some of my favorite characters that I voiced would include the clones on Clone Wars because I was mm -hmm. a big Star Wars fan when I was a kid, and they've done marvelous things uh, in that universe of late, uh, especially on television. I really love being Perry the Platypus for <laughs> Phineas and Ferb. It's a marvelous show with fantastic songs and really, really funny. I love the animals in uh, Last Airbender for Nickelodeon, Momo and Appa. Um, and just the heart of that show and the, and, the, and the humor and the epic inventiveness of the whole thing. And it's always fun to be Klaus the fish on American Dad. It's uh, the naughty fish in a bowl who, who probably should stay there. So it's, it's hard to narrow down. I mean, there's just a lot. There's so it, many. It's, it's really fun. It's all, it's rarely a day that I get up and think, oh, I don't want to go do this at all. I always have fun. I mean, I, I get mm -hmm. up and I often don't even know what they want me to do. I just go there. You and just they, get in the booth and yeah, ready to they, go. Yeah, they want like a monkey bat, or they want a mouse, <laughs> or they want a cat, or an alien that's eating children, or a possessed nun, or anything you throw mm -hmm. at me. Let's do it. It's very improvisational and very free. And um, what's not to love about that? Oh, I mean, it seems like the best. What got you into voice acting? Well, I stumbled into it uh, gradually. I didn't aim to be an actor. I studied philosophy in college. Really? And just learned a lot of things. I always liked biology and science, and I read a lot. But, uh, but I like performing, whether it's musicals or stand-up or, or Shakespeare or theme parks or a singing telegram. I was a mall Santa. I, I would do anything on a stage that, that was fun, whether they paid me or not without thinking of that as a career. But after college, it's like the most fun I could have for me was to be performing in some way. And then the more I kind of found versions of that where they would pay me, then the more I just kind of kept doing that. And it just gradually narrowed into voice acting. Uh, my first television series, which was a, a Nickelodeon show called Legends of the Hidden Temple, mm -hmm. That had me doing lots of different voices, too, and that sort of got me out to Los Angeles. Well, let's talk a little bit about Marvel Rising. You are voicing mm -hmm. Lockjaw and Tippy Toe, who are two really big fan-favorite characters oh, good. that are, are not humans. Mm -hmm. What got you in the headspace of those two characters? Well, I'm, I'm often asked to do dogs, and I've got 
a couple of dogs of my own. Mm-hmm. What Lock- are their names? Uh, Wellington is my pug, my infirm old pug, who's very sweet. He's a sweet little delightful fellow. <laughs> and then I've got um, Zira, who is my, she's a little brindle uh, French bulldog. Cute. A uh, lot of fun, a lot of personality, and a lot of sounds, especially from the pug. And so there's a lot of, you know, that kind of stuff going on with a pug. And so um, I listen to what Wellington, I listen to what he whispers to me <laughs> whenever, whenever we're near. And, um, and I channeled that into this, um, this big, friendly, sweet, teleporting bulldog uh, lockjaw. And for Lockjaw, who are sort of the people that he feels attached to in the group from Marvel Rising? Oh, gosh, I wish I could explain that. I mean, they bring us in uh, sometimes with the full cast, but sometimes only with just the partial cast. Today, I think we had maybe half the cast. And I'm shown like a third of the story. And then sometimes it's people performing with somebody who's not there. So it's only half of the person in the scene. Then I haven't seen it animated, so I don't know what it looks like. And so a lot of times with animation voice actors, we don't know the show that we're on until maybe a year or so later after it's been animated and then released out into the wild, such is the case for me. So does it feel super different to do a second season of a show then? No, because I always walk into a session not knowing what's going to happen. And... um, my stance towards life really and towards acting is very improvisational. So often the less you know, the better. Knowing a lot or having made a lot of decisions beforehand can be an impediment to giving a good performance. The way I put it is um, I don't want to be prepared. I want to be ready. I don't want to show up prepared because you can't really prepare. You can't look at a script and then read it and say, I know exactly what this is going to be and then make the thing that it's going to be and find the voice and the read in your mind and then bring it in and here it is and set it on the table. And No, you have to be ready to work with the block of clay that is the script Mm -hmm. and with the input of the creative decision makers on the other side of the glass and mold that while you're working on the scene into something that everyone likes. Well, it sounds exciting because you can actually allow yourself to be surprised (laughs) instead of clamping down and making everything be the way you want it. Well, it's creative. It's It's not obedience. It's creativity. And so, yes, I mean, ideally, if you're doing it right, it should have surprise. It should have laughter. It should have variation. It should have uh, wipeouts and and complete misses also. (laughs) Things that fall in your face don't work, but that's fine. You just get up and and try the next thing. That's that's kind of the stance that you have. I love that. So you also voice Mm Tippy-Toe, who is a squirrel. Yes. So uh, what is she, Tippy-Toe, all about? Well, Tippy-Toe is about supporting her her superhero friend, a squirrel girl, and... Having a good attitude, having good energy, and uh, second support. That's, that's yeah. Tippy. Tippy is there for you. And uh, what do you draw inspiration from to create that voice or those sounds? Or do you just kind of sit and play with sound? I just play with sounds. I mean, I, I, um, there was a time when I came out to Los Angeles where I, I really started focusing on doing animals and creatures, where I'd drive around and would just make sounds in the car. I'd listen to animal soundtracks or uh, animal CDs 
that I purchased and would just start building up a vocabulary of squeaks and roars and growls and chambers in my head and my neck that I can <laughs> use to, uh, you know, you can, you can go start way up high. You know, you can you can move the sound all the way up and down. That's crazy because sitting next to you, I sorry to interrupt, but sitting next to you, I can hear the sound start in the front of your yeah. face and like hear it back in here. Yeah. Do you just try to use everything like a channel? Right. Well, it's like a it's like a it's like a saxophone or something or or an instrument. Uh, didgeridoo. I don't know where <laughs> where you it it it's where you place it, uh-huh. and then how you configure it. I mean, for instance, you know, like. <gasps> That's up there, but it's I'm, I'm squeezing it together so there's less uh, space for the air to get out, so it makes it. It's it's it you know it's how you modify the the chamber around where the sound is happening that gives you a different a totally different sound, and then you can you know if you do it like that 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 gives it a different sound. <laughs> like that it it gives it a different resonance it's like you have the whole orchestra around you and you can pick up the bassoon you can pick up the the kettle drum the piccolo trumpet and and just use that but it's all in here that's so cool and it seems like i'm gonna just say i think you have an amazing ability that not a lot of people have obviously you're very gifted with your voice but also it seems like you're not afraid to actually do the thing and not worry about, I think a lot of people stop themselves because they're thinking about, oh, I don't want to be silly or I don't want to like fail. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't want to look stupid. Yeah. I don't mind looking stupid. <laughs> I've done children's theater and stand up, so you can't hurt me. I'm with you. I've done both <laughs> and it'll change you forever. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's, you lose your inhibitions. And then yeah. having done a lot of improv, which is all about that openness mm-hmm. to falling on your face and just trying something that seems like a good idea and then rolling with it. All of that training was really, really, really helpful to me to just being open to experimenting and then extending and pushing a sound or a character idea so that it, it's not just here, but it's fully extended and fully out there in the performance. Okay, I have to ask this favor. You were talking today in the booth. You were trying to teach people cricket sounds. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Will you teach me how to make a cricket sound? Yeah, sure. I don't know how I'll be at this, but yeah. I'm going to try. It's a stunt. It's a party trick that you can learn. Okay, actually. let's try it. So it's just two parts. One part is just the whistling. So if you, good. Can, you can whistle. The second part is a little more um, involved, but it's very simple. It's the back of the tongue against the soft palate. That thing flapping around called the uvula, kids? <laughs> well, it can be your friend. And you just relax that like you're gargling, like that. It, but it's not, it's not the front of the tongue. You're not doing a You're doing a Like that. The periplatypus sound is the like that. Okay? Now you can do that with an inhale or an exhale. Like Momo on Last Airbender is like that, where I'm just going and adding the, right? 
So, the cricket, are you still with me? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm hanging on every word. Okay. You, you do the whistle, and then you do the Bob. It's kind of like the Bob Hope. But it's, That's but, the way but it's I very it. relaxed, and it's... It, 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 right. So then you're whistling, and you engage that with him. I don't think I'm as good at it as you are. Well, wait, but but just practice it. Okay. Do what I do. Drive around in the car and do something stupid. And almost, it's in there. You know, and then just you work on those two things yeah. and you kind of combine them. And then when with your friends or at a party, and someone tells a joke that falls flat or does something that doesn't work out. You dial in the crickets, and then everybody laughs, and you get all the laughter. <laughs> all the everybody thinks you're so clever and so talented. <laughs> yeah, you can learn that. how to do it. I've Oop. yeah. Okay, so let me pick up my notes that I've dropped. Um, so may I interview for a moment? Yes, you may. Tippy toe. <laughs> okay. I I just want to see how Tippy toe feels about some some stuff. All right. Is that all right? Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, so Tippy toe, how's your day today? Oh, good. And um, I was just wondering, how do how much do you like Squirrel Girl? Do you like working together? Um, and how do you feel about Lockjaw? Are you guys pals? Do you like to hang out? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I mean, everyone has strife working together, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> oh, well, well, I, I hope to end on an up note. So, uh... uh <laughs> Uh, what's your favorite thing about being part of the Marvel Rising team? Oh. Wow, it sounds like you do do a lot of action. That sounds really fun. <laughs> well, thank you, Tippy Toe. Um, would you mind if I actually talk to your friend Lockjaw as well? <laughs> Hi, Lockjaw. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, were you napping? Um, do you, I know that you and, and Miss Marvel are both inhumans. Do you guys like to hang out together? And um, do you like to play fetch? Do you maybe, if I threw this in... Okay, 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 uh, here you go, here you go. Oh, good boy, good boy. Thank you, Lockjaw. Um, well, uh, I'm, I guess Lockjaw is going to just... Oh, I guess he's enjoying that. Good, good boy. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you so much. Silent clapping from, from, <laughs> from behind the scenes. Um, when I'm in the zone, <laughs> I see nothing but the microphone. There you go. 100% method. Yes, I'm a method dog. <laughs> Day of the animals. Day of the animals. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Where can fans find you online, or should they just leave you alone? Online, uh, they can find me. I'm on uh, Instagram, dbradleybaker, and I'm also on uh, Twitter, dbradleybaker, and um, my website is dbaker.com, where you can go and listen to some of my weird sounds that I make. 
And, and I want to be a voiceactor.com if you're interested in voice acting. Well, I love that. Thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. All right, that was our interview. Reminder, Lorraine Sink will be with me on Marvel's pull list next week uh, because Tucker is going surfing on the moon or whatever he's doing. Typical uh, Tucker. You know, that's Tucker for you. Classic Tucker. But now it's time for the community. We've got a bunch of stuff in this week. Uh, first one, I wanted to read a tweet that we got in from Kenneth Sanderson, who's awesome. Hey, uh, Kenneth. Yeah, he just wanted to thank us for um, the, the shows that we do and, and everything that Marvel does because it helps him out and keeps a positive focus on his day-to-day. And, Kenneth, we are happy to help. We are here for you. We are very glad. You know, I saw one of our listeners, Charis, and uh, she was here uh, in New York yesterday. Uh, it was good to see oh. like, our, our people uh, in person, on Twitter, wherever it is. Y'all are why we do this. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, we got an email in from Mr. Jason Kim, whom I love. Jason says, aloha from Hawaii. I want to give two shout outs. The first shout out goes to the Marvel app. It's great because when I'm on vacation, it helps me find comic shops I can check out. And the second shout out goes to Golden Age Collectibles in Vancouver, British Columbia. Jason says, I found them through the Marvel app. It was a nice store with a friendly staff, very well organized. I bought the Iron Man Epic Collection War Games and Shield by Steranko Trade from them. Those are pretty awesome finds. Thanks, Jason. Sweet, Jason. Simon Williams tweeted us, Twim of the Week for September 12th, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 36. I didn't think an issue with no dialogue would work, but it did. Kudos to Ryan North and company. I like this observation from Simon, too. Uh, A few observations from reading Squirrel Girl number 36. Ms. Chloe reminds me of the librarian ghost from Ghostbusters. A total coincidence, I'm sure. I would say that is not a coincidence (laughs) whatsoever. Ryan North is brilliant and probably thought about that scene because I think about that scene. I think about that movie all the time. Every time I'm in a library. Yeah. I think about the dialogue that comes after, too. Get her, Ray. Egon, your mucus. (laughs) Scott McElroy, good to hear from you, Dr. Spidey. It's been a while. He says, Dear Marvel, more stories like this fantastic Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commando's tale for your upcoming 80th anniversary, please. Referring to the uh, Krakoa story. Yes. uh, Which is great. Glad you dug it, Scott. And uh, Tech Lord says, Meow Doc. (laughs) I think it would be K-O-D-O-M, kitten organism dedicated only to meowing. Uh, and he says, I have to get Inara and Majel to draw that one for us. Those are his daughters. They're the best. I would love to see their drawings. Yeah, 100%. Tech Lord, if you are not reading West Coast Avengers, then you are missing out on Brodock. That's all I got to say about that. We'll leave it there. And finally, another one from Lex saying, this week in Marvel is describing the pull-list's own feed as a divorce. But I see it more as a kid. The pull-list has matured, and ready or not, is off to live on its own. Oh. Like watching your child move into their own apartment and hoping they outgrow their bad laundry habits. Oh, I'm sure one day Tucker will wear socks. No, those ankles need to shine. Oh, I guess they had to be really glossy. Yes. To uh, always adjust the lighting for those things. Yeah. Uh, that's it for... This week's episode, uh, next week, we're going to be down to the wire with New York Comic Con, so expect a, a harried and fun episode. We'll be back. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.